All right. Hello. What's up, you guys? I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Tabara. Shout out to Tabara. It's me, your host, Nicholas, and you're listening to Elitist Anthropology. Today, I'm super, super excited because the guest that we're going to have on is like, he's just a very cool guy. He's very mysterious. <laughs> don't, la- don't laugh. I haven't. Whatever. Um, he's very mysterious. We met several years ago for the first time. Uh, kind of floated around each other and then we moved to LA went to school together and um, I I don't even know enough about him to introduce him despite having known him for five years so we can just get started ladies and gentlemen welcome to the pod Nico Murray (laughs) what's up Nico Uh, what's good you really have like the podcast voice down like he gets a little bit deeper he's like hello everybody it's Nico it's Nicholas I've been I've been practicing did you ever listen to this radio show called Delilah (laughs) <laughs> yes of yeah. course everybody has yeah but like i didn't listen to it as much as i just heard it sometimes yeah that's my that's my og oh yeah she yeah. had it down to a science you know she's still on air Seriously? Mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess so nico tell us tell us about you what should the audience know what should the audience know <sighs> that's such a broad question i don't know i um i came came from upstate new york i'm first generation american so mm-hmm. this is not my home for real but yeah. my parents decided that america was the best place for them and then on top of that they doubled down and went upstate new york of all places was there a reason that they chose america and not like england uh my grandparents back in the day day they were like oh okay we're in jamaica we're gonna start a new life england or america and i really think they just like flipped mm-hmm. the coin for real mm. i don't think there was much thought they went into it so i mean Mm. this is how we got here but yeah yeah i'm from upstate not too much on that because everybody calls me a fake new yorker including all of your friends all of my friends yeah ice two gina but those are all of them. that's your people y'all live in flatbush it's i do see i feel like i should be certified by now but yeah it is what it is and yeah i what came to nyu off a whim mm-hmm. had never heard of it before i applied really I, yeah no did not know anything didn't even know the, the logo was purple like, I just knew it was mm-hmm. in New York. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds cool. What did you study? Uh, music business. Mm-hmm. I kind of just, I came for, what, pre-med? And one semester I was You in came it. for pre-med? I absolutely so did. So you weren't even, like, an uh, industry head before you? Absolutely not, no. no. Wait, so why were you going to be pre-med? Um, because I was good at science classes in school. I don't know. I just, I applied. Like, I just picked the thing and clicked mm-hmm. on it. Like, I did not pay much attention. Really? Yeah, I mean, they were like, oh, you should be a doctor. I was like, okay, I guess I'll be a doctor then. So mm-hmm. I applied. And then I got in, surprising. And my mom was like, I'm not paying for you to go to no $74,000 school for fucking what? What's New York University? They was in the church like, Carla, she has to go. Spike Lee went there. <laughs> like, like I'm going to make movies or something. <laughs> but yeah, and then I got here and everything else is everything else. Ended up in the industry mm-hmm. somehow. I transferred out of pre-med after almost failing all of my classes yeah as one does as one does are you taking orgo see i did not make it that far <laughs> orgo is like semester two yeah, like no, pre-med. yeah i no. did not make it that far no wow i was like one semester in i talked to my advisor they said you should be good i had chemistry mm-hmm. i had biology i had calculus and i had fucking cultures and context that was my, like one of my favorite classes it was not one of my favorite classes which one did you take um in indigenous peoples of australia uh, I could see how that could be like it was yeah a, it was a thing, but did yeah, you guys watch no. Rabbit Proof Fence? Probably, I slept. I don't. I don't remember. 
for context so i i i think this is at all new york universities there's like if you're an accredited university there's a certain set of classes that like everybody has to take in order for you to have like a liberal arts degree and one of them is cultures and context and it's like much reviled uh amongst me amongst the university going commun- community because it's it's basically like you have to take a global history class and you never get to take the one that you want because there's just too many people that have to take it so you always end up in kind of a random one i got really lucky i took um like uh lucifonism and uh the portuguese empire so it's like we were doing like brazil and like angola and da, 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 da. Um, but most people end up in one that they really are not trying to be in and like like me yeah yeah i I literally just took the last one that was available and that was that was it at eight o'clock in the morning on Mondays and Wednesdays. So mm-hmm. much fun. And so why when did you decide like I'm leaving pre-med and I'm going into the music business program? Because that's like also a very big jump. I feel like most people <laughs> I know that are pre-med that drop out, they go into like psych, global health. <laughs> global public health. Global public health <laughs> is like the OG pre-med dropout yeah. major. Nobody starts there. Everybody ends up there. Um, yeah. Also, like the nursing dropouts, global health. I was I was sitting there getting ready to make my my schedule for a second semester, mm-hmm. and I already wanted to drop out. I called my mom. I was like, "Yo, this school shit is." Oh, you wanted to drop n- out? Not for me. Yeah, like was, fully, fully. I was like, oh, "I'm ready to go. I'm mm-hmm. fucking done with this shit." And like, my mom was like, "No, like that's just not gonna happen." So mm-hmm. you need to at least finish a year, and then we could even entertain this conversation. Mm-hmm. So I went through. I was on Albert, mm-hmm. and I literally went through every single class that NYU had to offer, and I said, I'm going to find something that I like, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. And I think it was either psych or music business. And when I got to psych, I'm like, mm, still in CAS, still prison, not doing that. I got to <laughs> learn a language, so fuck you guys, but I'm not doing that. So I said, all right, Steinhardt's got music business. Let me take some introductory class, and I'm going to go schedule a meeting with the advisor. Mm-hmm. It was a black lady. Love her to death. That's like mm-hmm. my bestie. We have a meeting every Tuesday still. Oh, well. And yeah. So I took one of those classes. I loved it. And I was like, I'll just transfer in. These niggas made me sing to get accepted. Oh, really? I had to sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I had to do like a, a C major scale. I had to do uh-huh. a fucking a theory class. Yeah. Like it's, a theory test. They, they make you do kind of a lot. It's really a, a music degree it is not a business mm-hmm. degree that music business shit the business there is just for mm-hmm. show like we be taking full i knew someone training. that was uh, majoring in uh he was doing like music not music science what is it called music tech? technology yeah but he transferred out of music tech into music business because oh, I think. there was so many theory classes yeah i you think know. i know who you're talking about there's a couple yeah. of that music business is definitely the fallback for uh music tech who like mm-hmm. didn't really want to do all that engineering and shit mm-hmm. or for the kids who respectfully did not make it into clive davis <laughs> <laughs> is clive is that like is that exclusive like is it oh difficult yeah to get on clive is like they don't accept that many kids per year it's like like mm-hmm. i wouldn't want to say it's like 10 20 mm-hmm. some shit like that so yeah. and they like accept musicians they're not accepting niggas who want to be in the industry necessarily they're accepting yeah. niggas who like came in here with some streams yeah no i um me and my friend were just sitting in uh like at the edge of bedside clinton hill one day and l varner like walked past us she yeah. went to clive davis and uh so we're sitting in the thing and she walks by me and like i was like is that no 
but I was like, maybe it is. I know she lives in Brooklyn. She went. The reason why I'm telling this story is because she went to Clive Davis, and um, she's like walking away, and I just I was like, can I get a review? <laughs> and then she, she turns she around. turns around and she was like. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> no. But she was actually, she was really nice. She sat, she like stopped and like talked to us for a while. Like she's like really cool. But that's like the only Clive Davis person I've even like interacted with. Honestly, I don't know anybody else that's come out of that program. Uh, a lot of producers. Uh, what Take a Day Trip was there. Mm-hmm. Um, damn, like I worked there also, and like they yeah. had like a big video screen where they would just show all the people who like graduated and went on to do big things. Mm-hmm. I don't remember most of them. I do remember Take a Day Trip. I was like, oh, they produce songs. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. There's some others that are probably more notable. We'll Google it at some mm-hmm. point. I think um, I saw, I went to a show one time and you know, Holly Robinson, Pete? No. She's an actress. Her daughter went there. Mm-hmm. And I remember because I went to the show and I was like, oh, like, I like this music. Like, this sounds pretty good. I followed her on Instagram and then I saw that her mom was Holly Robinson, Pete. I was like, that's what, because I thought I recognized her. And I was mm-hmm. like, I, I know I've never seen you before in my life, but your brain can't invent new faces. So like, right. yeah. Um, but I never, never been like close to anyone that did that program. They're very like, they stick to themselves for the most part, mm-hmm. to be honest. They'd be in the studio, they'd be in class and then they'd be doing their own thing. Wow. But in some ways they're just like us. <laughs> <laughs> That's so me. I'd be in the studio, I'd be in class, but we're getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. The next question is, how are you? What's been what's been up? We talked a little bit before, so <laughs> things, things have been chaotic. Um, but you know, um, NDAs that have been signed. NDAs aside, have been signed. Uh, how are you? I'm all right. I feel like I am amazingly overworked and stressed, mm-hmm. but also like, God, I hate that I have to like qualify and be like, but it's a good opportunity. But like, it is for real. So like, I feel like it's. Mm-hmm almost worth it like we're just scraping the surface of being worth all of the trouble it is but mm-hmm. i'm all right i went to like four shows in the past week and a half and i yeah. am dead tired but yeah since you've been working in the industry now i mean i kind of went through a thing where it was like i i used to like love going to concerts before i started like working yeah then when i started working more and also like doing my doing my own shows i started to be like "Mm, i love this less now i'm at a point where like if i buy a ticket to a show i'm probably buying it so i can hear one song like i'm i'm a i'm a big like deep cut person i really love the single but i always like the deep cuts like normally like track seven right so i know that i can show up late because they're not going to be at the start of the set I know that I don't have to stay till the end. And like, once I hear it, you're out. I'll leave. Okay. I, I see where you're coming from. Do you still enjoy going to concerts? Uh, don't let it fool you. The fact that I work in live, I never really liked going to concerts. I went really? to like my first concert sophomore year of college for work. Like when I worked what? at Sony, I covered a show. I covered a G Herbo show mm-hmm. at Brooklyn Steel, I think. Oh, but- and it was like the last show before like they locked us up for quarantine. Mm-hmm. So I covered it for work. And that was like the first time I had been to like a real show. Like I've been to like the little corners where they got somebody on the mic and shit. But like not yeah. like a full on like event. Yeah. It's it's a lot. Like I hate it's going to sound elitist or whatever, but well, I hate being in GA. I don't <laughs> I don't fucking like okay, it. Well, break down the acronyms for the audience. Uh, general admission, like in the pit where you see the niggas like making space and jumping around. That's mm-hmm. GA. I'm not I'm not one of them. No, no. And not because it's like I'm too good, but like mm-hmm. I'm going to get anxiety. Like niggas is too close. Niggas mm-hmm. is touching me. They're pushing me. All of a sudden you get punched in the in your lower back because a song played. Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's never really been my thing. But like lately, the jobs I've had have required me to be kind of on the side of the show or side stage or VIP or talking to people. So I don't mm-hmm. have to be all the way like in, in the, the mix. mix. Yeah. yeah. So I like it more. Like I get I get why people go to shows now. Mm-hmm. But I still have fun because it's like a new experience. Like it's novel. At the same time, mm-hmm. if I'm working from 10 to 10, do I want to go to a show on a Tuesday until yeah. 12, wake up and still go to work in the morning? Nah, nah, I don't want to do mm-hmm. that. Sometimes I want my bed like really bad. Yeah. But it's cool. I can't complain too much because there's people who would wish to like be doing that. So I'm not going to say too much. I think though, if they like, it's like one of those like grass is greener things. Like last year I worked, I worked on a tour mm-hmm. and as I was traveling like with the artist, I was like, this is getting old very very quickly i'm like counting them like from the show starts i'm like okay i'm exactly 183 minutes away from being able to pack up and leave and like go to the hotel to like relax or like you know get on the thing so it's not a particularly glamorous um line of business to be in well being on the road is the less glamorous part like that shit is not fun i've only ever heard like i hate it except for like the tour manager who seems to like be a glutton for punishment nobody else really enjoys that shit that's the perfect way to describe it shout out to um shout out to my tour manager that i toured with but she was like she loves like the summer camp counselor of it all like she that like she gets like a lot of like joy out of that and that's why she like loves to do it i think also too that's why you have people that like stay like the same people manage tours over and over because it's like a certain type of personality that can do that job. Oh, of course. It's not for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart at all. Yeah. Do you have a favorite concert that you've been to? Jasmine Sullivan and it's not close. Like it's mm. like like she's up there and then everybody else is like bunched together below her. Her mm-hmm. show was like amazing. Tens out of ten out of ten. I went to Boston to watch it and I was about to like buy another ticket and just follow her on the route. But mm-hmm. it was bread, so I didn't do that. But no, that's definitely the best show I've been to. Yesterday I went to mm-hmm. um, JID and Smino, and that might be, it might be second. Smino is really good live. Surprisingly, his set was like not as not as enjoyable to me. Like really? JID, JID washed him. I'm not gonna lie, but I saw Smino when he went on the Control tour. This is a that right. was like five years ago, I guess. Damn. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, cause did you go if, to SZA? No, I did not. I did not go to SZA. I had um. What's it called? I know the promoter for this show, and we were supposed mm-hmm. to meet up and go to the show together, and then he, like, flaked on me. It's okay. But he mm-hmm. left me his ticket, so I just brought one mm-hmm. of my friends. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I was not going to pay for a scissor ticket, and I do not know anybody who can get me a scissor ticket, so I stayed my ass at home for that. I was in the same boat. I feel like there's I'm, there's a lot of artists that I'm, like, priced out of now. Yeah, no, because yeah. this shit is getting very wicked very fast. I feel like that's kind of the trouble with being, like, if you're in, in engaged, like, well, I would refer to it as, like, if you're, like, an early adopter of an artist that, like, gets hot, mm-hmm. it sucks because you go to that first tour that's, I mean, it's not necessarily on struggle mode. Like, her control tour was not on struggle mode, but it's, like, it you go to the what? tour when it's, like, you know, it's clear there is a tight budget. And they kind of, you know, they're kind of just making it happen. But then when they get the the money and the support and like they can put together like a huge show, mm-hmm. even though the venue that they're playing is six times the size. Like I saw at the House of Blues in Dallas. Yeah, was that's it the House like of Blues? what? Like no, it was It wasn't even the South of Blues. It was the South Side Ballroom. It's probably smaller than that. That maybe. is definitely smaller. Yeah. 1300. Now she's playing Madison Square Garden, which is 30,000 <laughs> seats maybe. Yeah. I cannot afford to sit on the roof. 
It's crazy. It's it's one of those. I think like COVID got it fucked up too because mm. there was no like middle period. There's no progression for her. Like she went from like not even ballrooms from like House of Blues venues, which were like thousand fifteen hundred capacity venues, mm. and then the next time you get to see her for real. Boom, Madison Square Garden, two nights, um, TD Garden. Ah, uh, uh, like, yeah, there was no progression there. It's not like, a, oh, I got to see her a couple times, blah, blah, blah. It's like, nah, now we need no. your money and we want it. We need it fast. You can't have it. <laughs> you can't have it. That's the same way I felt about I really wanted to go. I mean, it's not the exact same. I wanted to go to the Renaissance tour. Oh, yeah, no. Back in the day, 2018, 2017, mm-hmm. I paid $300 to see the Formation World tour. That is still a she lot. was. But it was three hundred dollars to be at the front. She was kicking the water in my face okay, at yeah. the freedom. Like it was like all right, all it right. felt uh, the the value proposition was still there. Okay, yeah. Today and in, in this year of our Lord twenty twenty three, I have to pay three hundred dollars and travel to New Jersey <laughs> to sit in somewhere the Hudson River. Is that the one that separates New York and New Jersey? <laughs> yes, yes, I have to is. pay three hundred dollars to sit in the Hudson to watch it. <laughs> It's just a terrible economy. I mean, she's coming for her bread. That, yeah, no, that tour was, I'm sure it was a lot of money they gave her. They just threw a bag at her and said, hey, just be there every night. And that's it. Can you kind of explain, man, we're just getting all over the agenda. But for the audience, can you kind of explain like the sort of economics of touring? Like who, I was explaining this to my friend the other day because they didn't understand like how and how or why an artist would like switch venues before a show starts yeah so can you just explain like the relationship between like the talent the venue the promoter the talent buyer like how does the system all work okay so we can if we reduce it to like the simplest terms it's Mm -hmm. really like buying and selling so i work at a booking agency we're Mm -hmm. talent sellers we sell the artist experience Mm -hmm. the promoter the person at live nation or aeg or one of those places Mm -hmm. They are the talent buyer. They're paying to have the artist come and perform to put on a show. Mm-hmm. So what happens is they'll say it's different for maybe a SZA. Well, it's different for SZA and Beyonce because they have tour deals. They're just they're not just like putting together dates and arranging mm-hmm. them. Somebody at Live Nation came to them and said, hey, we want to put you out on tour. Mm-hmm. What's the number? And then they put it together. So outside mm-hmm. of those situations, what happens is a lot of the times a promoter will reach out and they'll say, hey, let's get a show on the books. Yeah. And they'll say, hey, what's the price? How much do you guys want? Mm-hmm. Say, you know, you're like a mid-level artist. You know what I mean? I just want like $10,000 or whatever. Yeah. You go into like maybe a, a thousand capacity venue or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you sell it out. Question. I have a question. So there's um many cases mm-hmm. of artists, they get promised XYZ amount of money. Right. They do the show. Right. After the show, there's a TMZ headline. XYZ artists beat the fuck out of XYZ promoter. <laughs> so can you just explain? And, and so in that agreement, like, yeah. do, is the artist supposed to get paid like a contractor, 50 up front, 50 after? Do they get paid in tranches? Like, how does it normally work? It depends on not how legitimate, but it depends on the the buyer, the mm-hmm. talent buyer. So most shows that you have ever been to if mm-hmm. it wasn't like in like a hole in the wall venue mm-hmm. was promoted by live nation yeah their contract stipulates that they will give you 10 percent of the they'll give you a 10 percent deposit of your guarantee maybe a week before the show okay and then you'll get the remainder of that the day of the show okay 
that's how their contract usually works. So you'll okay. sign your at the end of the show, you'll sign what's called like a settlement, and it's like how many tickets were sold, how many, how much did we spend on production, how mm-hmm. many stage hands did we have, did we have to go rent a fucking forklift to get your stupid shit on the stage, whatever, mm-hmm. and then they minus out all of the, all the expenses, and then they see how much money you're gonna get at mm-hmm. the end of the day, and then you get the remainder of it. You get your um, you get your balance. And is it a is it a check? Is it a wire? Is it cash? Depends. Um, you can really get paid however you want, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You could do cash. Most artists hate having to pick up cash at a show because they just want to go the fuck home. Yeah. So the way we do it at our agency is well, we do wires. So you're going to wire mm-hmm. us 10%. We'll hold it in escrow until the date plays, and then we give mm-hmm. it to the artist. And then we're going to say we'll sign off on the settlement sheet, mm-hmm. and then they'll wire us the balance. And okay. then we'll give it off to the artist. Mm-hmm. Some people like getting cash, which is kind of ridiculous and unsafe because why would you want to walk around with all of that? But yeah, some people get checks. It really depends. Okay. okay. But the the pluses of having like an agency is that we write contracts and then we can say, hey, we want we want to make sure the wires get hit mm-hmm. before the show. We want we want you to sign a promissory note so that we can pay the artist before the show date because mm-hmm. we can't give them the money contractually. Right. Unless they say, hey, you can give them the money. Mm. So, I don't know. The people who, when you see like those TMZ articles, it's like, oh, so-and-so artist beat up promoter at show because they didn't get paid. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't really contracted. It's probably like a mm-hmm. club hosting, which okay. a lot of the times is like, oh, I know the manager. or Oh, I know like the A&R and I got it in. Yeah. And they just like throw money at people to come to come do a show. And then mm-hmm. there's no real like concrete contract. Mm-hmm. People get fucked over very often. And so question on the pro so when the agency gets a promissory note from the promoter does that then mean that the agency pays the artist and they collect on the back end from the promoter so some agencies collect money so our agency does so mm-hmm. we would send out a note and say hey sign this we want to release the money to the artist mm-hmm. like they're requesting that we release this money but we legally can't give it to them unless the person who sent it says yes you can give them the money because mm-hmm. the whole idea is this is a deposit yeah. we're not paying you before the show we're just sitting down saying, hey, you're going to get the money. Here it is. Yeah, it's like good faith. Right. So they would have to sign off and say, hey, we're allowing you to pay them this money. But mm-hmm. they still have to come show up to get yeah. the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It. All right. Back out of that rabbit hole. Right, right. So the artist gets offered a tour. Mm-hmm. Their booking agency sort of handles the negotiations, figuring out what the days what the days are going to be, where they're going to go, what the artist is comfortable with. Right. They're sending out the writers, doing all that type of stuff. Right. Um, if it's a tour that gets booked um, like fully in advance, it's not something that's kind of happening while it's happening. Mm-hmm. Does the um, promoter, so like let's say Live Nation, do they pay ten percent of the entire tour? Oh yeah. To the to the agency. Yeah, sometimes they'll pay it straight to the artist, but yeah, they'll pay ten mm. percent upfront. Sometimes it's a negotiated rate because a lot of artists, when you have a tour that large, mm-hmm. you need money. Like you have to pay all these people. Mm-hmm. You've got to, like, it's a lot that goes on. You'll probably get an advance of mm-hmm. maybe thirty percent, maybe forty percent, fifty percent advance. It's like absolutely asinine. That doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. But it won't just be like a 10% deposit. Granted, once you're at like one of those big tours, like millions on millions on millions of dollars, 10% is still money. Yeah. But you've got a lot of expenses. You have to rent the bus. You have to make sure everybody's paid. You have to salary all these people as well. So it's not like the 10% is going to cover all that. Like you have to either come out of your pockets Uh, or get So the 10%, so the 10% fee 
that's like all encompassing whatever comes out of the, uh, the whatever comes out of the show that the tour that the artist designs mm-hmm. then the rest is like theirs to keep but they're expected to fund the tour with that payment as well yes if it's if that money is released so the 10 mm-hmm. deposit usually isn't released so if you're having like a big tour you're probably going to get like a production advance so you can go rent all your sound all your lights all mm-hmm. of your all your shit right mm-hmm. but that being said it's it's 10% of your guarantee. It's not necessarily 10% of all the money you're going to make. So mm-hmm. the way these deals are structured is it's a versus deal, which means okay. there's a guarantee of, say, on a smaller scale, $50,000. Mm-hmm. No matter what, that artist will get paid $50,000, Okay. period. If it's a versus deal, that means after all of all the tickets sold, after the expenses of the show, mm-hmm. you'll get paid 90% of that money that's left. You'll split it 90-10 with the okay. producer. It's like a rev share. Right. So if that number is larger than your guarantee of 50000 then you get that money. Mm-hmm. If it's lower, then that means the promoter probably lost money, mm-hmm. but you're still getting paid your 50000 because that was your guarantee. Mm-hmm. You're never leaving here with forty-seven. never leaving here with 49. doesn't matter if they lost a million fucking dollars. Mm-hmm. They're paying you fifty. Okay. So that's how those usually work. So it's not like you're getting 10% of what you could possibly make. You're getting 10% of that guaranteed mm-hmm. number. And can you walk us through, like, what are all the different... So obviously there's tickets, but, like, what are all the different sort of, like, revenue streams for a tour, for a show? So for a tour, is a bit different because a lot of the times you're making a lot of money off of sponsorships if you can, like, get those partnerships. Mm-hmm. But Or maybe, like, meet and greet packages or mm-hmm. merch sales and stuff like that. Do you, for for the artists that, that you work with and the tours that you work on, do you guys have a sort of ideology around how to leverage those relationships or you know what matters what you'll accept what you want when it comes to like sponsorships meet and greets i know like i have never been a meet and greet person yeah. there's one artist that i've paid to meet and greet who, was uh, who i won't name uh, but we were talking about one. them earlier okay uh is never meet your heroes i guess they were <laughs> they were nice then but it turns out they're nuts that's what that sounds paid to see but them. they were nice to me they signed my ticket it was, it was very cool um but yeah, so I've never been a meet and greet person. Um, some artists are really into it. Some artists are not. No. What? Do you, how do you feel about meet and no, greets? No, artists are not into meet and greets. They're into cash grabs sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, I've yet to hear of or like work with an artist that like really, really wants to do a meet and greet on a larger scale. Like if you're still building your audience and you go into like 300 capacity venues, then yeah, maybe you want to meet all these people that are like supporting you because it's not like on a super large scale. Mm-hmm. But I promise you, like, these people that are, like, doing big shows, they do not want to do a meet and greet. A lot of the times when we're requests, when we have, like, show offers come in Mm -hmm. and it says, oh, artists must do a meet and greet, we just call them and be like, yo, they're not doing that shit. Mm. Like, no. Take that shit out right now. Yeah. I think, like, with meet and greets, it's hard to, especially, it's like, so that tour that I worked on last year, we did a meet and greet after every single show. Damn. And it was crazy because, I mean, we were playing smaller venues, I think the, the biggest venue we played was probably like 500 people, mm-hmm. but every show was sold out. And because it was kind of like unofficial, you didn't have to buy a ticket. Basically the artists would be on stage and they're like, we're going to do a meet and greet at the merch table. Okay. So the idea of course is that you're going to buy merch when you, yeah. Oh, meetings. and they did. I'm going to sign it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was like, it was very functional in that way. They probably made much more money than if they had actually sold meet and greets, uh, but it was yeah. so exhausting, so hectic and so crazy that it's like, if I could have designed that meet and greet, we would need 
three security guards. Oh yeah, every single night for sure. And like this is like a smaller artist playing a, playing a five hundred person venue, but it gets so crazy that I'm like, I would, I don't see how anyone would ever want to like contractually agree to this. And that's why they usually don't. So if they're doing a meet and greet, a lot of times it'll be like part of the ticket scaling. Like, oh, mm-hmm. in addition to getting a VIP ticket, you get a meet and greet if you pay an extra fifty, hundred, blah blah dollars, which mm-hmm. means a lot at the end of the day. And then yeah. sometimes with these meet and greets, depending on how the contracts go, you get. The artist might get all the revenue. In some venues, you can't get all of the revenue from the meet and greet, so you have to share that as well. But share a lot it with of them, the venue or with the promoter? Both at sometimes, because what will mm-hmm. happen is they have to... Some venues say, oh, we want a percentage of the meet and greets because we have to staff it because you need security. You do need security, and it's, it makes a very big difference how it's staffed. Yes, so that's how that'll go. But like, no artist really, really, really likes that. Selling merch is a good way to make money outside of your guarantee mm-hmm. because... If you've ever been to like a show, they sell that shit for a lot of money. Yeah. Sweater be like a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Granted, they also don't get to keep all of that either. A lot of the time, so it'll be like an eighty-five yeah. to fifteen split, mm-hmm. shit like that. But and this they, is another way of making money. They'll split revenue with sometimes with the promoters and or the venue, and also sometimes they have to split money. The merch that gets sold there is actually doesn't belong to the artist, so the merch gets fronted by a merch company then they're selling the revenue and like doing reporting while like the person who runs the merch table is doing reporting while it happens at the end of the night does all the countings and count outs and stuff and so there's a little bit more sort of like liability and risk associated with when they sell that merch yeah but another way to make money so it's cool mm-hmm. and so then talk to me about sponsorship so at what point in the tour planning phase do people start thinking about okay this tour is going to be sponsored by from the beginning from from the very beginning so we have a tour that we're working on right now i Mm -hmm. definitely can't say whose it is but (laughs) part of the offer was the promotional company said we will secure a we will secure x amount of dollars in sponsorships for this tour on -hmm. top of your guarantee and you will be able to keep all of that money oh wow that's like a huge deal Oh yeah, they wanted the tour really bad, so yeah. they made sure to do that. Do you do you ever have people that get into bidding wars over yeah. tour? <laughs> yeah, what but does... the problem is they always lose to Live Nation. <laughs> <laughs> it's not much of a war if you're. What does losing. it look like when there's a bidding war over a tour? Um, it looks like what'll happen is they'll send, say, Live Nation sent me two hundred fifty thousand dollars a show, mm-hmm. and you go over to. Uh, AEG and you say well I mean I I don't want to do a tour with them but mm-hmm. maybe if you guys could give me more then yeah it's kind of like negotiating anything like a job even mm-hmm. you just kind of go back and forth but it's not that common because there's a discrepancy in venue sizes there's mm-hmm. a discrepancy in how many venues a promoter has mm-hmm. and especially with those larger companies Live Nation is only going to give you a tour in their venues for the right. most part Except for like when you're doing an arena tour because they don't own Madison Square Garden. They have to rent it out. Mm-hmm. Like on the smaller scale, like if you're doing House of Blues, you've never been to a House of Blues that was not owned by Live Nation in your life. Mm-hmm. They own all of those. Yeah. The Fillmore, those are Live Nation venues. So when you mm-hmm. see a tour and it's got like that big Live Nation sticker on the top, yeah, they're going into all their venues so they don't have to pay like a asinine rent fee. Right. So that they can offer you more money than somebody else. It's mm-hmm. so like anybody with money can feasibly offer you a tour deal right they're just gonna have to go rent those venues out Mm -hmm. but if live nation does it then they can use all their rooms if aeg does it they can use all their rooms but yeah say maybe in like seattle for instance Mm -hmm. live nation doesn't have a venue but aeg does 
So if that's really important to you, then it's like, oh, I'm missing certain markets on my tour if I have to go with you because you're not going to let me use somebody else's venue. Yeah. Sometimes it's a big deal. Sometimes it's not. But those are really for like the big players. You don't mm-hmm. see many tours that aren't sponsored by, that aren't um, promoted by Live Nation, AEG, or maybe like an Outback Presents. That's mm-hmm. about it. Wow. 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 All this from a man who does not like going to concerts. Yeah. Had not been to a concert five years ago. Listen, I, I learned quick. I don't like being, That's... I don't know, um, I don't like not knowing what I'm doing. Like, it's my job yeah. to know shit now. Like, do you think that, so just from a broader industry perspective, do you think that in the music industry, touring is a place where you want to stay? Or do you want to get into the sort of like... Uh, like recorded. Recording. Again. Recording, I mean, or, or even other stuff. I don't know what other sections of the music industry are there. Like, there's recording, obviously. There's like publishing. That's a that's especially, I feel like publishing is probably the biggest side of the industry that has people that are not musicians involved with it and like stay there for a long time. Mm. I, whereas I feel like recording like labels and stuff, people move in and out of labels very quickly. Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily know. Like I'm doing live now cause I just, I ended up in like touring and live events. Like yeah. I just popped up here one day. I got offered a job and I took it. Mm-hmm. I never really like looked at it as the place where I wanted to be. I always thought I was going to work in the recorded, like at a label or something along those lines, which yeah. I did for some time. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like now I'm knowledgeable about like that part of the industry mm-hmm. more so than I was before. So I could do it. Like there's nothing stopping me from doing it. I know my brain works well enough to like comprehend it, but is it something I'm necessarily passionate about? It kind of remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the recorded side for a little bit. I had a couple of, of trends here. I just kind of want to get your take on. <laughs> oh, this will be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first one is just like the clock app. TikTok. <laughs> we've had we, we've had a little bit of discourse about this on this podcast before. In our first episode, of course, we had Super Kira. Um, she's a TikToker. TikTok is interesting. There's always going to be sort of like new and emerging platforms that people can leverage to sort of break into the mainstream industry, whether it's like a Justin Bieber coming from YouTube, a Choice Yvonne coming from um, Vine or like a uh, any of the artists like Ice Spicer, Pink Petras or anybody who's like blown fucking what is her name? I really like her song, but everybody hated it. Addison Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I was OK. Just a quick side note. In defense of um, Obsessed by Addison Rae, mm-hmm. it's a really great pop song. It sounds good when you play it really loud. The video is cool. I don't know why people hated it. I did not know who Addison Rae was before the song came out. Isn't she like one of those people that be dancing on the app? Like, Precisely. The... Yeah. I I understand why she's not successful as an, as an artist because she's not an artist, but that song is great. But that aside, mm-hmm. what do you think about TikTok? What do I think about TikTok? I was a TikTok hater for the majority of its existence, I feel like. Like, mm-hmm. I, when I worked at labels, I worked at Sony Music as, like, a college marketing rep, which is really just, like, in-house influencers. Mm-hmm. And it was a job requirement to have a TikTok account. Did you make TikToks? Okay, now listen, right? I started making TikToks because I was required by my job. Mm-hmm. And I realized, one, I'm not one of them niggas. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm like, this is shocking news to me to even know that you would have that app on your phone. Exactly. So what I did was I told, I came to my boss. I was like, hey, um, you could have me make these TikToks. I'm never going to do a dance challenge. So don't ask me to do that. (laughs) But you could have me make these TikToks. And like, I don't know how much is going to help Bryson Tiller that I got 30 views and one like. (laughs) So 
I could go to one of my friends who like does shit like this and I can mm-hmm. ask them to make a TikTok on my behalf. Would that be better? And they said, yes. So I was out here trapping TikToks. I was like, yo, will you make this for me? I'll wow. give you $10. Wow. But yeah, no. And like those earlier stages, I think people misunderstood mm-hmm. the app from an industry and like a music perspective. They thought mm-hmm. if I do a music challenge, my song will blow up. Yeah. No. Like the uh, now now mythic and legend love doesn't cost a thing challenge that there was nothing nothing happened with that (laughs) did anybody make a no nope (laughs) there's only one to this day yeah it's like so i think who was one of the first i think meg the stallion got like a crazy like influx of streams followers everything i think that's like that's like the standard right so it was so misunderstood in the music industry that people were like like oh we got to get a dance challenge up for this song got to get a dance challenge for up for this song at labels and mm-hmm. they're misunderstanding how it works it's much more like on tiktok people either fuck with the song and it comes naturally or it really just doesn't like mm-hmm. you could try to force a dance challenge down people's throat but it's not gonna work you could try to force yeah. it down people's throat it's not gonna work those songs that you see a lot you see like a trend something funny something whatever and it's mm-hmm. like a trend of content that comes with the song not necessarily something pushed on you Mm-hmm. so i think when i was at the labels there was one example i won't blow him up because he's not really an artist anymore he's just like a regular nigga now okay but there was an artist that got signed off the strength of like a tiktok song mm-hmm. and it was a trend it wasn't like a dance challenge like people just were naturally using his song in their videos yeah he got signed off the strength of that okay my personal opinion is that he wasn't all that talented but okay we live get in your society. bag get yeah. your bag it's okay and the label said, oh, we need to release an extended version of this song. A longer version of the song. Yes. The song was like a minute long, maybe. Okay. And they're like, we got to release an extended version. This is a hit. And I'm like an intern at a label. So nobody's really listening to me. But I'm right. like, that's the dumbest shit I've heard in my life. Nobody likes this <laughs> fucking song. They only know five seconds of it. You don't need yeah. to make it longer. Yeah. What, they what, got him in the studio. Was the like, extended version like for radio? Was there was nah? They, they couldn't get that shit on the radio. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you have to pay to do shit like that. Yeah, but I'm like, what? I couldn't imagine what would be the utility and, of and, that. And now you see why you're better than the average music industry professional because I it see. just takes a couple seconds of thought it's like why would you do that nobody's listening to the song the youtube yeah. video has fifty thousand streams and, and the tiktok so has a million like, now the now it seems like the sort of emerging trend is to make things shorter like the sped up version is is inherently shorter how do you feel about the sped up version tm i'm a slowed and reverb type of nigga i'm okay. gonna be honest with you but sometimes i see it mm-hmm I don't really like it necessarily, but you know, it's it's for something. We had the slowed and reverb YouTube era, the SoundCloud true. era. I'm still there. They've got the sped up SZA TikTok era. Yeah, the you sped know. up Nightcore version. Exactly. Mm, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna find a song I like and immediately go to YouTube and say slowed and reverb and see if it sounds better every yeah. single time. Do you think maybe that's one of like the first things that will separate like Gen Z from Gen Y? <laughs> maybe one of like where they go to see a different version of the song yeah well just like whether their their ideal version of like if we're going to alter this song are we going to slow and reverb it so that we can like you know vibe or are we going to like speed it up no so there's that definitely dance? there's definitely a year you were born where that answer is just different like yeah at past like maybe like 2004 2005 mm-hmm. you're not saying slow and reverb these kids are not saying that mm-hmm. absolutely not oh wow anthropology that we're doing you guys okay um <laughs> kind of related thoughts on the two minute song we i feel like our 
again, if we're separating generations, Gen Z and Gen Y, I feel like our generation is used to three minutes and 20 seconds. Right. Now, I mean, I don't know what's number one right now, but if I had to guess, I would guess that the song that is number one on the Hot 100 right now is two minutes and 45 seconds. It's tough. Like, I have opinions. I think it's called me a very opinionated individual. But, like, mm-hmm. I feel like if it's if it's driven by just your creative vision, then it's one thing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times it's driven by analytics and making money off of music. Yeah. So a lot of these two-minute songs started popping up when people realized they're not making any money off of streams. Record CDs stopped selling. Nobody yeah. was, like, selling music anymore. Nobody was really buying music. It was all getting streamed, and it was, like, really bad. Like, mm-hmm. people were hemorrhaging money. It was a dark day. Right. So you get paid in the music industry, at least for, like, streaming platforms, Per stream, if somebody listens to your song past, I believe it was what, like the 10 second mark. Yeah. That's and when I've, I've heard you get that Spotify has a, um, to fight the streaming farm, Spotify had like a volume thing. They did have a volume thing. I don't, well. is that, is that true? That is true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can't listen to it on mute. It's not going <laughs> to, nobody's going to pay for that. Yeah. So you get paid what, like 0.09 cents it's, per stream? Well, it's actually, it's segmented by what type of subscription that they have. Oh, true. So you don't if even get a... paid a flat rate. So if they have like a paid subscription, advertiser-supported subscription, if they have a family subscription. It also depends on how they got to the song. So if you mm-hmm. went and you clicked on a song, mm-hmm. the artist gets paid marginally more money. If it came to you via um, a spotify curated playlist less money because mm-hmm. you didn't look for it so yeah they didn't earn that money as much i guess i don't know yeah and it's also altered by market right so you get paid 0.0 something something cents per mm-hmm. song so you arguably stand to make more money if those songs are shorter mm-hmm. and if there's more of them on your album yeah and that kind of like led a trend and now it's like industry standard to have like a song that's 45 seconds shorter than it used to be yeah i think one song that would so benefit from an extended mix though i recently discovered it apparently it's super popular and everybody knows it and i'm like the last person which this also happened to me with drip too hard i found out about drip too hard about drip too hard i found out about drip too hard like 18 months late and i went home and i heard it and so i texted my brother who's like a really big um Mm -hmm. he's a rapper and he's like a really big hip-hop man and i was like I just heard this song on the radio. Have you heard this? Like, I think this is new. And I sent him Drift Too Hard, and he was like, this is not new. No. I recently found out about uh, Poland. Recently found out about recently, Poland. Recently, about two weeks ago. I I understand how you could miss that one. I it, get it. Whoa, what an amazing song. Oh, and you like it. Okay. It should be four minutes long, maybe five. And These are scorching hot takes. And Kalela should be on it. Doesn't that sound like a Kalela song? I mean, if you say so. Think about it. Like... Yeah, I think it's I think it's great, but that would be an interesting little Lil Yachty and Kalela, you know, <laughs> Poland you remix. Know, I need to be an A and R. That's my true passion. <laughs> if I was like, if I had no morals and was no born rich, morals. then I would be an A and R. Born rich? What are you trying to say? I have as an you have artist strong opinions on on A and R. Clearly, an, well, actually, on the record, I love all A and Rs, and I would be more than happy to take your call and work with your artist this as a producer or songwriter. Lying. I would love to do that. Um, you can contact me via Instagram. I'll be there. Here Off we, the record, uh-huh. I feel like generally A and Rs, I don't. It's it's a it's a higher than the normal standard distribution of scoundrels in that <laughs> in that profession. <laughs> this is this is. Uh, I mean, would you disagree? I. 
I did it for a little bit. I can't. I really can't disagree with you because one of the reasons I'm not in ANR is because I just I couldn't deal with the politics and the catering mm-hmm. to egos that it takes to actually get an ANR job. Because mm-hmm. one, there's only but so many of them. There are not that many ANR. At least not major labels. Yeah, you can be ANR just by being in the studio with your best friend. You're an ANR now. Congratulations. But mm-hmm. like major label ANRs come f- relatively few and far between. Mm-hmm. So, since there's only so many of those jobs, a lot of them, you know, they do the internship thing. Yeah. If there's a position, then they let you in. But a lot of the times, it's just like a hamster wheel. Like you're trying, 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 and you just never get that job unless you get somebody to like you a lot. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You got to be born rich and have no morals. A lot of them are not born rich. You don't think so? No. At least, I'll, I'll speak off of my experiences mm-hmm. of who I know. Let me say that. Mm. Maybe on the higher end. Maybe you're thinking about, like, kind of the old-fashioned A&Rs. The people that I've met that work in A&R, a lot of them, it's like, you know, I can I can stay on this... I can stay on this internship grind perpetually. Okay, so you're talking about, like, got the internship, interned for a couple years, then I became an A&R assistant, then I became an A&R yeah. scout. That, and it, and yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah, it'll never matter how much money I make. Mm-hmm. I, because I, I don't have to, like, I don't have to support me. Like, I can just... <laughs> If my job pays nothing for three years, then it pays nothing for three years, and that's fine. Okay. So the way that I, when I was, I started in music wanting to be an A&R. Mm-hmm. Like, although I didn't come to NYU, like, on some, I want to work in music shit. Yeah. I had, like, an internship, air quotes, at, like, a radio station and at a recording studio before I got to school. And, like, mm-hmm. I always wanted to do it, but I didn't really know there were jobs there. Yeah. So the first thing that I gravitated to was A&R, and I got an internship pretty quickly. And... I feel like a lot of those people, the reason I wanted to do it was because I wanted to, A, like, be resource to artists. Yeah. I wanted to use my ears to, like, help make music. I want to be part of the creation process rather mm-hmm. than, like, the selling process of the music. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean, I don't know, you don't have to be, like, the rich, entitled kid who's okay with not making money for a while. But a lot of these A&Rs are just people who used to make music people who have relationships with artists mm-hmm. from knowing them forever yeah not necessarily like through the industry way of oh i got an internship mm-hmm. then i grinded out for a couple years and they offered me a job and then blah 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 yada yada mm-hmm. yada i think that's more common now which inherently makes it harder to get those jobs because you have to have like accreditation from a school you can't just be somebody yeah. off the street getting an A&R internship anymore but mm-hmm. i mean it's one of those things you can do without having to be at some big company like, if yeah. you know somebody, you can be in the studio. You can just be an A&R. Mm-hmm. I should get an A&R on here. We'd probably beef, though. Um, <laughs> you, you tell them to sign you right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, listen, if you're, an, if you're an A&R and you wanted to sign me, I'm not saying that I would say no, um, but I'll talk shit about you after. Last, last one, last trend. So you work in New York. Yeah. Is there a reason why New York and not L.A., Atlanta, London? Um, short answer. I didn't like Los Angeles. I've never really been to Atlanta and I'm not going across the Atlantic to work in the music industry, but, um, I always liked New York. I grew up Mm -hmm. upstate, but I grew up, um, coming to Brooklyn like every weekend for church Mm -hmm. as much sense as that makes it not much, but yeah. So I always wanted to live in New York and for the most part, that's where, a lot of those job opportunities are maybe not like the creative opportunities if you want to mm-hmm. collaborate with artists or work in a studio but if you want to work at a music company mm-hmm. you're much better off 
at least past like four or five years, you were much better off being in New York. Mm -hmm. The trend is shifting to Los Angeles a lot. You think so? Well, in my time in the label system, a lot of people were just migrating to the West Coast. Like they're mandating people post quarantine to like mm -hmm. be at the office and they were heavily insisting that you be at the office in Los Angeles instead. Okay. So certain departments like completely migrated, like the A&R department at um, RCA, like just up and left New York and oh, went wow. to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And that was a trend for a couple companies. But Atlanta is a hard place to get a music industry job. Really? How many companies are headquartered have like a building in Atlanta? Not very many. Yeah. Like who's down there? Love Renaissance? And they're not hiring you. Yeah. So like QC. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, those are really hard jobs to get. Like those are industry jobs that you get by like being around for a while or by knowing somebody. You don't mm -hmm. just like apply to work at QC or Love Renaissance. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah. So it's hard to get an industry job there. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about London to be honest with you, but why didn't you like LA? So for for context, was that your first time in LA? Absolutely. When we went? Okay, so Nico and I did a study abroad in air quotes uh, program when we were at NYU where we studied um, in Los Angeles for four months. And it was a very interesting time. To me, it kind of felt like summer camp. Like, that's the yeah. kind of vibes that it had. Like, we lived in townhouses. We were, like, all together taking classes that were just kind of, like, whatever. Um, but I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was sick. What did you think of L.A.? I, was, I wasn't a fan. I was. I had my own, like, personal shit that I was dealing with. You were kind of on a side quest for... for <laughs> there, so like in it there was maybe like 20 of us yeah something that went. like that it was kind of like real world there was 20 of us that went there was like kind of like a, a people that were like on the main right on the main timeline mm -hmm. um and then there was me <laughs> and then there was nico and nico and his, and his roommate cornell <laughs> shout out to cornell um and y'all were like on that other so like what was what was going on during that time so i I don't know. I wasn't really a fan for a couple of reasons. I feel like you're either a New York person or you're a Los Angeles person at heart. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a Los Angeles person. Everything is far. I can't yeah. get anywhere. This is true. It's Yeah, the, the weather is nice, but the sun goes down and it's cold all of a sudden. I was not prepared for that. I brought no sweatpants, no pants. I thought it was going to be like fucking vacation. I was there yeah. with shorts. I got a cold in like two days. Yeah. Ridiculous. And... I don't like going places where I have to look for black people. Like, And we were in Park La Brea, which it's not really niggas there. It don't be niggas there. This is true. Real. You know, California just in general only has like a 6% black population. And there you go. So like my thing is I like living in, I live in Brooklyn. I like living in Brooklyn because if I go to the post office, it's niggas. If I mm -hmm. go to CVS, it's niggas there. Anywhere I go, it's niggas there. Mm -hmm. I like that feeling. I was in Los Angeles and I had to search for black people and I don't want to be in that position. It was taking buses far. I remember one time Bruh. we're walking through the neighborhood, walking to school, and I'm like, "Oh, Nico, what'd you what'd you do this weekend?" He was like, "Oh, um, I took a bus to Compton." <laughs> and I was like, "Where we lived is like not took not, two buses to Compton. It's actually. not close, and it's not close if you're in a car. It's certainly not close if you're in a bus." And I was like, "Bro, like, what?" I was on a side quest. Yeah, like I woke up one day and I was like, "I want to get a tattoo." Like, I had been thinking about getting a tattoo. When I woke up one day, I was having an extremely, like, not great week. It's like, today's the day I'm going to do it. I Googled, like, tattoo shops. I'm like, I want a black person to give me a tattoo. And then I, like, looked, looked, looked. And it's like, oh, go to Compton. I was like, all right, cool. I went on Google Maps. It said, like, two-hour commute. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I got to go up and around to get there. It's right mm -hmm. fucking there. 
but I did it. Went, got my tattoo. I was in there, mm-hmm. and we were talking, vibing. And I was like, oh, I'm here. I'm around the niggas. This, this is an all right place. Yeah. I was like, yo, oh, where should I go to get a haircut? Because, like, I'm here. I might as well, you know, satisfy all the needs one at yeah. once. Make a full run. Bro, stop. He turned off the, the tattoo gun. He said, listen, bro, I'm going to be honest with you. I live around here. You're not really from me. I would go home. Like, I wouldn't stick around, to be honest with you. And I was like, all right, never mind. I mean, you should just go home. And that was it. That was the last time I, I really tried to, like, go find some <laughs> niggas. Because I found the niggas and they told me to go home. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Get up out of here. <laughs> he said, I wouldn't stick around if I was you, for real. Mm-hmm. Said, all right, never mind. Yeah. Fuck it. But, yeah, I was on my own shit. I kind of went to Los Angeles to escape some shit that was going on in New York for me. So it was like, mm-hmm. I had, like, I had one fleeting thought. Oh, I should go to L.A. And then I applied and I went. And it was just like that. And I was there one day. I was like, fuck am I doing three hour time difference from everybody I know? Yeah. I don't know any of these niggas around. Like I met Nick like twice. And I was like, oh, that's Nick. I, yeah. I know who that is. Mm-hmm. And that was the extent of it. But I don't know. It was a cool experience. I didn't get much out of it, I feel like. I could have gotten more, but really, I wasn't really much for, like, okay, I could have hang out. I could have hung out with y'all more. But my thing was, if I'm only hanging out with you, because we're here together and not because we're really friends then yeah. i don't really want to hang out with you it's like i was with you i was with like mommy i was with jayla because like, yeah. i was friends with y'all i wasn't friends with everybody else so what the fuck am yeah. i gonna go to the beach with y'all for <laughs> <laughs> i don't even like the beach like that so what the fuck am i doing <laughs> you know you don't even like the beach like that and that's a perfect segue i want to talk about jamaica yeah so you're first gen first gen yeah you're so did your your whole family moved here all at once or did your parents move here and then your grandparents and then you like how did that work my grandparents on my mother's side my grandparents decided to move to from jamaica to america and mm-hmm. not all at once like a lot of the times with those situations what'll happen is one of the two will go and get a job in america mm-hmm. and then off the strength of having that job they're sending money back to jamaica for a little bit and then eventually they move the family over right mm-hmm. And, you know, you build that sense of security by working there for a while, meeting some people, getting a place to live, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, getting set up. Right. And then you bring people with you. So that's what my grandmother on my mom's side did. Actually, the same thing that my grandmother on my father's side did. Mm -hmm. So they both came. My mother and my father grew up on opposite sides of Jamaica. So they probably would have never met each other, honestly. Question. You tweeted something the other day. (laughs) You know what I'm about to bring up? (laughs) What, the they split it down the middle? Yes. And I was like, you know, I'm going to ask him about this because I don't, you know, people do that with the states. And I'm like, well, obviously not for nothing. Like the middle, the middle of America, if it went from top to bottom, like Michigan down to Texas, like that would be the winning, that would be the winning thing. You think so? Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll we'll tackle that. Unless the East Coast gets to use like federal government resources. If it's just like, Sure. People in the streets, yeah. I guess y'all have but more guns than anybody. So precisely. Jamaica, explain that to me. The west side of the island versus the east side of the island. <laughs> what does it all mean? How does it all work? And why would one side win over the other? Okay, so my thought process was there's certain parts of Jamaica that's like country, like like goats. You get woken up by roosters. Goats mm-hmm. is walking across the street at whatever time in the morning. They leave in the morning. They come back at nighttime. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's real wicked. Like, countrymen, crazy niggas. Yeah. And crime in Jamaica is a whole... You could have a whole podcast just about that. I've heard. So, my thought process is the place where you got, like, those cent- those hubs of country towns and then, like, a lot of criminal activity, y- y'all not beating them with some niggas who grew up in the city for real. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. That's like saying 
that some kids from Manhattan are going to beat down the niggas from Broward County, Florida. Like, nah, y'all are not winning that fight. Yeah. Same shit. I see. Like, I see. Country niggas are winning, for fact. And so, but you... They run around with machetes. You're, like, biracial, though, because you said... <laughs> your dad's family's from one side of the island. Your mom's family from the other side of the island. So... My What's it like? Do you struggle with your identity? No, because <laughs> I only when I go, I always visit my mother's side of the family. Like mm-hmm. they've got a there's a house over there, and it's in St. Thomas. Seaport. Is that the west or the east or east? And it's like is one of them places. Mm-hmm. Okay, so question for Jamaicans. I saw some discourse about this a while ago. Mm-hmm. Where do you where does where does the Jamaican identity start? Like, how do people in Jamaica identify themselves? Is it location wise? Like, I'm from the East Coast. I'm from the West Coast. Is it by state? Is it by like ethnicity? Like, how does how does how do people start to identify themselves there? Everybody identifies uniformly as Jamaican. Like, we are Jamaican. Mm-hmm. It's not like much of a oh East Side West Side. I'm from. Some a lot of the times it's the town that you're from because mm-hmm. you know how like back in the day they'll say oh you grow up and you die like within X amount of miles of your own home yeah kind of similar to that in Jamaica like people don't tend to like go very far like you mm-hmm. grow up you live and you die usually in the same like vicinity that you grew up in yeah. so your identity is really you, as a Jamaican person sometimes mm-hmm. the city that you not city but town or mm-hmm. parish like my mom is from St Thomas that's her parish yeah. So that's part of the identity, I guess. But yeah, it's not much of. I feel like people in America like fight, like, "Oh, I'm a New Yorker. I'm a New, I'm from New Jersey." Yeah, to an extent, but not really the same. And so then they came. So it's when like, "Oh, I'm from either you're like a country, you're a country, or you're not." Like that'll be the defining uh, characteristic. Like, are you from like dirt roads and shit, or are you from like, like paved city. road city shit? That's a distinction. Dirt road versus paved road. Listen. Interesting, but yeah, I'm just noting that that's like that's <laughs> uh, dirt rover's paper. So then, when your parents come, mm. w- how do they like how how does the story go where Nico comes into existence? Complications, but um, my as most like Jamaican people coming to America, they decide to live in Brooklyn. My mm-hmm. grandmother's grandparents, blah, blah blah. So my parents then, my mom came when she was like eight, and my dad came when he was like. 17 mm-hmm. so they both largely kind of grew up in america in brooklyn mm-hmm. like in the city yeah so they met i don't know a while ago like 30 years ish yeah in brooklyn they decided to be together uh, uh, uh all that yeah, yeah nice yeah. fun stuff and then my mom went to college in upstate new york in binghamton because my aunt bing. went to school bing yeah big b <laughs> so my okay. aunt went to school in Bing, and my mom decided to follow her because, like, oh, I guess I'll go too. And then yeah. a section of our family just decided to settle in upstate New York, I guess, because yeah, whatever. And what was it like to grow up there? I, when I think of upstate New York, I just think of like cold, just trees and, <laughs> and ice and snow and like pickup trucks. It has that for sure. It's like there's such a a disconnect. Like, okay, anybody from New York City mm-hmm. says New York stops at like the Bronx after that you're not from New York you're from Pennsylvania you're from California <laughs> you're from fucking mm-hmm. Canada like it doesn't matter yeah a lot of the culture is throughout the entirety of the state to some extent depending on where you're at so mm-hmm. Binghamton and Bing it's maybe like 40% black 40% minority oh wow that's a lot it's like it's not small yeah right so you would never know that because it's air quotes college town 
There's a university there. Mm-hmm. And there's always like an influx of white kids from Long Island or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Who come for school, blah, blah, blah. Was that weird growing up with a like a pretty huge transient population around you? Nah, not really. Because you don't really notice that much growing up. Like I go to school and I come home. And like mm-hmm. you see, they usually are on campus and then they're downtown like on the weekends. And outside of that, you don't see them. Really? Because the campus is... Bing is like, is that like a, like, it's not like our school. Like, it's like a gated community. Like, they yeah, all it's there. a campus, an okay. actual campus. They live there and shit. So okay. it's different. But the black community in Binghamton is New York City. They're from the city. It's really the way it used to work is <laughs> the way it used to work would be a lot of people who couldn't afford to pay their rent or were struggling to pay their rent in New York and those housing communities. Yeah. They would offer to send you to Binghamton instead because cheaper place to live probably easier to find a job for certain people Mm -hmm. and that's how a lot of black people ended up living there so most of the population of kids that i grew up with blah blah blah, Mm -hmm. their mom moved to binghamton Mm -hmm. they didn't grow up like it's not like a family thing or like oh we've been here for four generations nah it's like oh i'm from the bronx for real so it's like (laughs) niggas it's just city niggas running around like upstate new york that's what it was like so it wasn't that much different. Like it's not mm-hmm. like I had such a completely different lifestyle than the New Yorker New Yorkers. Like I just yeah. didn't take the MTA to get to class. <laughs> that I was see, it. I see, I see. But I mean, crazy shit happens everywhere. It's still still the hood. <laughs> and so now you live in the city? Yeah. Well, I live in Brooklyn, but yeah. You live in Brooklyn, New York City proper. Do you still live with your grandma? Yeah. This is very interesting to me. Why? Because I so before the pandemic, I was living in a dorm. It was horrible. I was like, I got to find a way to get out of here, but I have no money. Right. I see this poster for NYU Intergenerational Living Program. Basically, what they would do is they would take um, older people in New York that live in these rent-controlled apartments that's like, they're still in good health per se, but like they probably shouldn't be living alone. Like, right. I mean, just in general, humans are social animals. Like you're really not supposed to be living alone, sure. but especially as you get older. So what they would do is they would pair up NYU students and like older people that have these really big rent controlled apartments or whatever. And the NYU student pays like the discounted rent, $500, $600 a month. And they just live with this older person. And like your responsibility as the younger person is just to like, have breakfast with them like make sure they good make sure they didn't walk out into the middle of the street go get the groceries Uh, yeah yeah just like just like hang out and like be be around them and so like literally right before the pandemic the week before i had had an interview with the director of the program because it was normally only for grad students but i was like i promise like i'm chill i'm normal like me and my grandma (laughs) have a good relationship like i really think this could work out like i'm trying to stay in new york for the long term like you know what's up of course pandemic happens that all goes away but I was very interested in also being a part of the social experiment of living with a person who might be two, three generations ahead of you. Right. So living with your grandma and your grandma's from Jamaica. Oh, yeah. What was, What is that like? I mean, I don't, that's my roommate for real. So like we consider it, we're roommates. Yeah. Ride or die. But me and my grandma have always been like close because when I would come, I would, my mom would just send me to Brooklyn for summers sometimes. It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to go stay with your grandmother. Like, mm-hmm. we'd be taking the bus to, like, the Brooklyn Children's Museum or to Coney Island and shit. So, like, mm-hmm. we've always been real close. So it wasn't weird for me to, like, just live with her. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's it's not as, like, weird as people would think. Like, yeah. somebody's like, oh, you really live with your grandmother? I was like, I mean, 
like yeah i see her in the morning i see her at nighttime mm-hmm. sometimes on the weekend we I drive her to get groceries <laughs> like yeah it's not that deep what do you guys talk about um she be pressing me about my love life and <laughs> yeah. getting, um if i want to go move back to jamaica going quitting my job to go make more money <laughs> she's mm-hmm. my grandma is a hustler like she works really? for she's like a in-home nursing aide for rich people's parents that are dying it's mm-hmm. so like she took care of the people who own all of those um theaters the broadway theaters mm-hmm. she took care of that guy's mom oh wow. um the guy who wrote the diary for Olympic kid books she mm-hmm. took care of his mom he signed a book for me it's like the top 10 moments of my life right there oh, okay so <laughs> shout out they pay a shit ton of money yeah for like hospice care yeah and it's like just to go over there sit with them eat mm-hmm. breakfast with them and shit Make yeah. sure they don't fall down the stairs back. So she's like, do you really like what you're doing? Because, like, me personally, I just like getting money. I'm going to go make my house bigger. Like, that's her thing. She gets a bag. She gets a check. And she's like, okay, I'm going to add a floor to my house in Jamaica. Like, that's yeah. how she thinks. And I was like, uh, I have to like what I'm doing to an extent or else I'm going to want to, like, fall over and die. So I don't yeah. think so. But maybe one day I'll just go chase a bag just like my grandmother did. But yeah. Do you think about moving back to Jamaica a lot? All the time. I'm, like, currently going to get, like, a, a dual citizenship so I could go if I really want to and, like, stay for real. Mm-hmm. Since both my parents were born there and, like, I have a residence being my grandmother's house, I could just yeah. become a citizen if I wanted to. And I probably will at some point. My plan is mm-hmm. to not grow old and die in America. Absolutely really? not. Like, no shot in the fucking world. Has that always been your MO or is it something that's yeah, been no, new? always the thing. Like, I have... My identity is very much rooted in being Jamaican. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be there. I just happen to have been born in America. Yeah. That's it. Is there, like, in the Jamaican um, diaspora, I guess would you call it, mm-hmm. do you feel that that is, like, the prevailing um, idea that, like, no matter where we are in the world, like, we're still Jamaican and there's a, a part of us that wants to go back to the island? Absolutely. I think, like, a lot of the people make homes where they're at. Like, okay, the majority of people who don't live in Jamaica live in either Brooklyn, New York, Toronto, London, or like Hartford, Connecticut, mm-hmm. like one of those four places. Yeah. So there are like communities of Jamaican people where they like found home mm-hmm. per se, but like there's not many Jamaican people who leave Jamaica and like don't go back on a regular basis. Like mm-hmm. they don't go on vacation, they go to Jamaica. I have never been on vacation out of this country besides to go to Jamaica. Really? And like every, how frequently would you say that you go back? Every, maybe every other year, every year. Lately, mm-hmm. I've been going off my own money. Which hurts. Yeah, but, that's different. It changes. <laughs> but like, yeah, no. And when I go, I don't go to like resorts. I go to the country. I go stay at the house. I'm going and like talking to the people who've been living there forever, mm-hmm. chilling, walking around the streets and shit. Like, yeah. That's home for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no. Definitely I'm not going to stick around in America when I like, I'm, my plan is to make money, mm-hmm. live out my life, whatever, be a professional. And then when I'm done, I'm going to head out. <laughs> that's yeah. it. Y'all could come see me if you want. Uh-huh. The perfect vision would be to be able to live in Jamaica and just come to America to like for meetings and work shit and then go back yeah. home to Jamaica. That would be beautiful. So that kind of leads into the into the wrap up of like, you know, five years from now, mm-hmm. we'll be 27, mm, 28, 28. Where where do you want to be and what do you want to be doing then? Yeah, I don't be setting goals that far in the future because I feel like I'll disappoint myself, but uh what would i be doing hopefully my goal is my newfound goal i made this mm-hmm. is to be working at spotify doing an ambiguous job that nobody can really explain making mm-hmm. a bunch of money yeah that, that'll be good like i don't think it'll take you five years to do that 
I think you could be doing that in like Spotify likes eight months. Spotify likes hiring people who have industry experience already. Yeah. So like you build up your resume and then they like, oh, come work over here for two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars to do a job nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure, I'll do that. Okay. Do that for a little bit. Maybe get on a Forbes list and peace yeah. out. <laughs> okay. And then I'm going. I don't know. I've I had like larger aspirations to really be like a resource to artists. I wanted to like work with artists a lot. Not really rooted in the like kind of clout chasey way that a lot of people do, like, mm-hmm. oh, I know this person and that person, but just yeah. being part of the process of making music. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of ways to be a resource without having to be like an A and R in the studio or like being a fucking record label executive. Yeah. So I don't know. One day at a time type shit. But yeah. Okay. And do you think you'll still be here? In five years, yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. I can't imagine that I'll be back in Jamaica. If I am, then something happened and I just decided to leave America. You were just like, I'm just fully... I'd have to be fully over it. Yeah, but nowhere else in America. Nah, really. Like, I haven't really been anywhere, for real. Never anywhere that I, like, feel like, yeah, I could live here. Like, who thinks that when they go places? (laughs) You think that, probably. I think that's something. (laughs) I've been a few places where I'm like, yeah, like, I could set up shop here. Like, I was originally supposed to move to L.A. right when I graduated. Yeah. my My job was there. Then I was like, they were like... We want you to move to L.A., but, like, it's not a big rush. So Mm -hmm. if you want to graduate, go home, you know, chill, whatever, like, you know, just come to L.A. soon. So I was like, okay. I was like, well, I'm going to stay in New York for the summer. Right. I moved to Brooklyn, and I was really, really over New York. Like, I was like, I hate it. I hate it. You were over New York living in Manhattan. Precisely. Okay, yeah. It's very different. Yeah, then I moved to Brooklyn for the summer, and I was like, no, I don't don't hate New York. What part of Brooklyn? I moved to Bed-Stuy. Okay, real Brooklyn. That's yeah. right where the, you know, the border. Yeah, no, I was, I'm real. I put the burrow on my back. <laughs> All right, now, let's not do too much. Um, but I was like, yeah, everything that I didn't like about living in New York was really stuff I didn't like about living in Manhattan. 100, I really do feel like Manhattan is a place you go in the daytime and leave at nighttime. If you sleep down mm-hmm. and lay your head to rest there, I I, I don't understand. It's I don't get it. It's really not an environment fit for human beings to live in. Probably not, no. And, um, but yeah, so then when I did that, I was like, actually, no, I want to... I want to say I don't want to move to Los Angeles. And my job was just like, okay, whatever, we can, you know, we can, like, make it work. Um, but I would move back to L.A. But I think f- for L.A., I need a much different set of um, circumstances. Oh, absolutely. To be able to, like, really enjoy living there. Like, one of the things I said, it's the worst place to be, like, a broke college student. Like, it's absolutely abysmal. Like, yeah. no car, no money in Los Angeles. Kill yourself. Well, no. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's how Do I was not feeling. Kill That's how I was feeling internally. I was like, I don't want to continue. Was, I'll end my life subscription. I, I, don't I do feel like here. it is a place for. I've I felt I felt this way when I was applying to college because I was thinking like, oh, should I go to the West Coast or not? And I was like, I feel like New York is very much a place for young people to be. Eighteen was like a bit much to move to New York on my own. That was mm-hmm. like kind of a lot. But like eighteen to uh, twenty eighteen to like twenty four. That's like New York. Sure. Whereas, like, I feel like L.A. is more like 27 to, like, 36. You could be broke in New York. It's still fun. Like, I could go outside mm-hmm. with literally, like, $4 in my pocket, eat three times, and go out, have a good time, and come back. Yeah. And have a couple turnstiles. I think chilling. in New York, it's much easier to be, a, so, to be like, a quote-unquote nobody. Like, you can wake up, and, and life can just sort of take you in the wildest place you don't know. Absolutely. Versus, like, L.A., it's not really that way. You know, you know who you are, where you stand, and what's going to happen. When you wake up in Los Angeles, um, in a pretty significant way. Um, last question before we let you loose back on the streets. Sure. 
what music are you listening to right now? Uh, so it's a tough question to see. I'm always listening to R&B music. Okay. Always, all the time, 10 times out of 10. I've been listening to, let's see, this artist that got signed to RCA not too long ago. Her name is Samira. Samaria, I lied. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. She does not have that much music out, but one of these days she's going to put out like an album and it's going to be like, wow, this is really good. Who is this person? Mm-hmm. They might call her Industry Plant. She's not. She's not? She's not. She's from New York? No, she's from Hawaii. She black? She's Polynesian? I couldn't tell you. Ambiguously raced, light-skinned girl. Okay, we got another Blasian on the map. Hey, man. Another point for Blasia. Did you see that thread that was like Blasia, Blasia versus, versus Africa? Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I was scrolling through it and I was Africa's like... Africa's putting up points. I was though. like, Africa has a lot. Shout out to um, Boys a Liar. But Africa's got a lot of points on the board. A lot. But Blasia they was... The, they keep running the count up. Blasia was just suffering from lack of... They didn't have enough men on the field. Right. But it's the like people Kalani they had on the field, they were... I mean, I'm still listening to Sativa till this day. They have some classics on the board. Love that Sativa song. That works. All right, Nico. Any last any last words for the audience? Am I supposed to? I didn't have this prepared. No, 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 no. You don't have to. I would, I would say, like, where can people find you? But I feel like you don't want to be found. No. Everybody who needs to know what I look like already does. I have yeah. no pictures on my Instagram. Nico is really... literally one of those people that, like, he posts on his story, like, proof of life yeah every three months because he'll disappear for real i will sometimes i have to remind niggas that i'm still here so that's the proof of life yeah um if you're curious you could follow me at nico.jm mm-hmm. it's all right i'm not gonna say too much because i have a big head and not enough shame but all right then we'll wrap it there thanks everyone for listening to latest anthropology i'm your host nicholas special thanks to make life studios and Raylan for helping us out today um we'll talk soon ciao oh so cute